my game plan is to teach out of Hebrews 10, 19 through 26. Um, but I think I'm going to shift up a little bit how I had intended to do it. Because before we just like read Hebrews, um, there's a lot you have to know. Like it's a very um, thick book with things that are Jewish, which Hebrews were what the Jewish people were called before they were called out of Egypt. Then they became Israelites. People started referring to them as that. So basically it's just saying Jewish people. So it's a very Jewish book and it's talking about a lot of things that they would have been familiar with, that they would have like encountered in their day-to-day lives, but we have zero concept of what it's like. For instance, um, <laughs> so they had priests. They, uh, there were a bunch of them. They were from the, the tribe of Levi and these were men who were set apart. There were 12 tribes um, of Israel and there was one tribe that was set apart to serve in the house of the Lord, which was um, the tabernacle, the temple. So these men, their lives were given. They were set apart from birth to serve in the temple. And um, they would basically, like, you would bring them your sacrifice. So if it was a guilt offering, if it was a sin offering, if it was whatever it was that you were needing to do, you would bring it to the temple and you would give it to the priest. And the priest would take care of bringing it to the Lord. So of all of those guys, there was one guy called a high priest. He was a really important dude. He was like, the holy of the holy guys. Because once a year, he was commanded to go into the holy of holies, which was a place in the temple that was off limits to everyone else. It was only accessible one time a year. It's where the Ark of the Covenant sat. So if you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant, that's okay. Um, Basically, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on stone and he put it inside the Ark of the Covenant. And then they put it in the temple, in the holy of holies, surrounded by a curtain. And only one time a year, one man could go in and he was the high priest, not just like a regular priest, which they're already set apart. This had to be a set apart, set apart guy. The one time a year he went in was on the day of atonement. So this was the day that um, they would sacrifice something. The blood of the animal would be shed. And that blood was a payment for the sin of all of Israel. So if your high priest is not like holy, if he doesn't follow the rules to a T, we have problems. Like the whole nation has problems for a whole year because this is allowed. God's like, no, just do it tomorrow. It's not like that. It was very strict, very rigorous. I promise this is important. So, you know what the Holy of Holies are. We've talked about priest and high priest. Yeah. All right, so ironically enough, during this trip, my friend was like, yeah, I went to a church one time, it was Easter, and they just kept talking about the blood, the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb. And for me, I'm like, yeah. Not realizing for an outsider, like, that's really weird. That is super weird. She's like, kind of sounds cultish. I'm like, that's fair. That is a fair feeling. But then you start thinking about the culture at the time. And... These other people who aren't God's people, they're not Hebrews, they're not Jewish, are worshiping other gods. And these gods are requiring sacrifices too. And not to make these people pure. Oh, you want a baby? Bring me something. Oh, you want a good year in crops? Bring me something. It was... It was a gift for these false gods that was being required in the same way that Yahweh was requiring 
a, a sacrifice from his people, except for what they were requiring often was really warped, really sexually perverted things. A lot of times infants, the blood of infants is what these gods were requiring. Yahweh's like, I don't, I don't want your babies. I want you in right relationship with me. And you can't do that because you've sinned. You've broken the law. And so the only way to bridge this gap between you and me is a blood sacrifice. Because the, the cost of sin is death, so something has to die. God's like, I don't want it to be you. I don't want it to be you. So take an animal and sacrifice it. So it is weird. I get it. You're like, that's really weird, God. But in the time, it was actually beautiful. It was a very beautiful thing. Also, I think, like I said, it's really hard as we're reading like a very Jewish book to understand like the context of their time. So these priests were basically holy butchers. I'm like, do not sign me up for that job, please. And I don't know if you've ever been around livestock. My husband and I actually have a goat farm or if you've ever been to a sale barn or a slaughterhouse. But it's really loud. Like animals are not quiet. So this guy's job, this priest's job, literally all day is to take animals, butcher them, and it's just loud and there's blood. And you, as a Jewish person, are, you're participating in this. And this is what covers your sins. This is what brings you into right relationship with God, but just for a moment. Because there's nothing special in the blood of a lamb, and you're going to sin again. It didn't cover you forever. It just covered you for a season. It was temporary. The thing is, God is not into temporary. He is eternal, and he had an eternal plan the entire time. Hebrews, leading up to this, is actually saying, hey, all of this Jewish stuff, it's a shadow of what's to come. It's a shadow of something I'm going to give you. And so you have to understand that these practices were important. They were necessary, one, genuinely to make these people in right standing with God, but two, because they were going to teach people something that they couldn't understand. God is so good to us. He's such a good teacher. He uses things we get to help us understand things we don't. Before you're like, all right, Taylor, this is not PETA approved. You're going to have some problems. This is kind of getting weird. I get it. I get it. And you're like, why would God want this? Here's the thing. God actually said he didn't want it. He didn't. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does in obedience? Certainly obedience is better than sacrificing. Paying attention is better than the fat of rams. God's like, no, my preference would be that you would just listen to my voice and obey it. Not that you would have to sacrifice anything. But time and time and time again, they just prove they can't do it. So he makes a way for them. So these people have lived in this. Their day is you go raise a lamb or a calf or you go buy one. You bring it kicking and screaming to the temple. You give it to a guy. It's loud. It's noisy. It's bloody. And then one day this guy named Jesus comes and everything changes like that. 
He lives perfectly. He dies sacrificially. Scripture talks about him as the lamb. He was the the lamb. The one time a year when they could go into the Holy of Holies, they brought a perfect spotless lamb to the high priest. And it was the blood of that lamb that atoned for their sins, canceled the debt and made it so they could come into the presence of God. And then Jesus comes and he's like, I was that lamb, but it wasn't temporary. I'm God's eternal plan. You don't have to sacrifice anymore. I did it for you. And it's so difficult for these people. Can you imagine your whole life, this is what you do. This is your religion. And then one day they're like, hey, you don't have to do that anymore. It'd be kind of like, are you trying to prank me? Are you serious? Is this a test? God was just providing a way. There's no more blood. No more screaming animals. It's done. This is the whole point of the book of Hebrews. That's why it was written. To say, hey, there was an old covenant, and it was good in that time, but it's now the old way, and there's a new covenant and a new way of living, and it is good, and it is what we're called to. So the author of Hebrews is speaking to that temptation to go back into the old way. He's saying, no more sacrifices. No more trying to cover your sin yourself. It's been done for you. That's where we pick up in Hebrews 10, 19 through 26. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, and we already talked about the therefore. He just spent time saying, this was all just a shadow of Jesus. It was all pointing to Jesus. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great, a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. So we're going to just verse by verse, starting with 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... Have you ever been in a place and you're like, well, shoot, maybe it's here for you. You're like, I don't belong here. I am like a sore thumb in this place, a bull in a china shop. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever accidentally walked into the wrong bathroom. It's that feeling. It hits you. You're like, I don't belong here. And the author of Hebrews is saying, because of Jesus, you do. Because of Jesus, because he was a great high priest. He didn't just do the job okay. He he wasn't the one where you're like, man, I hope he followed all the rules. He did it. He was the perfect spotless lamb. And because of that, you, we as believers have the right to enter into the holy place, which is literally the throne room of God in heaven. And this is the weirdest thing. And I I get it. Like you're like, Taylor, you're saying some really weird stuff. Okay, I'm going to give you that. But it's true. And sometimes the truth is is stranger than fiction. When we pray, when we worship, Josh said this this morning as we were praying before service started, and I was like, don't take my sermon. 
when we pray, when we worship, though our body is physically here, our spirit is entering into the throne room of God. How bizarre is that? And you can imagine it. You're like, what's a throne room? This is getting, this is, what is a throne room? It's like, you know when a king sits on his throne and he's got like the court? It's like that. And the author is saying, go into that spot boldly with confidence that you do belong there. There is a place for you there. Now, confidence and boldness is way different than recklessness. We don't blow into that place like we own it. We don't come before the Lord recklessly because he's still king. We don't go in saying, I need this and I want that. It's not Walmart. It's the throne room of God. There's a reverence, though we enter boldly, that we should hold when we pray and when we worship, knowing that we do belong here. But there's only one king. He's on the throne and it's not us. Verse 20, he says, By a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, Jesus' body. When God gave the instructions for the temple to be built, it was to mirror heaven. There was something that was already built and established in heaven that God said, now I'm going to take that and I want you to build it down here. So this curtain that goes around the Holy of Holies was basically like a big keep out sign. You are not holy, you are not welcome. There's one guy one time a year. This is saying that the curtain was open for us through his body. You're like, what does that mean? I'm glad to tell you. Matthew 27, 51. It's when Jesus is on the cross, something crazy happens. A lot of crazy things happen. It says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Just then the temple curtain, the same curtain that was like a big keep out, it was torn in two from top to bottom. It wasn't like kind of like ripped. It was torn, it was shredded. And the author is saying, you didn't understand it at the time, but that curtain that kept you out of God's presence, it's kind of like Jesus's body. And when his spirit was torn from his body, the curtain was torn at the same time. Jesus just shredded up that you're not welcome sign. And now we have the authority to enter in. Verse 21 and 22. says, since we have a great high priest over the house of the Lord. Can we just talk about that for a minute? We don't just have like another high priest. There is one great high priest over the temple, over the house of the Lord. Like I said earlier, we don't have to worry, man, did he, did he do it right? Did he get it perfect? Jesus was the man for the job. He's a great high priest. So we can trust that we are welcome. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Let us draw near to God. Guys, for these people They weren't even, most of them were not allowed. It was one guy in the whole entire nation that was allowed in the presence of God. But Jesus says, I'm going to open a way for everyone to come into my presence. We have an invitation to draw near. Now, the irony of that is often, even though God has called us holy, even though God has said we're pure, we're like, I'm not God. And we recoil and we draw away. And God's like, no, no, draw near, step into my presence. And we reject it. 
with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is the same thing I, I told you. These are shadows of things that are to come. This is the new covenant. This is why we're baptized. When we're baptized in water, we're crucifying the old man. He's dead in the water and we come up a new creation. That's a symbol of what's going to happen. Scripture says that when Jesus comes back, we're going to have new bodies. We're not going to struggle with our flesh like we do now. And in the same way, the blood, it's a symbol. It's Jesus' blood poured out on the cross. It's what, what we do when we take communion. And he says, this is my blood. And we drink. They're symbols of things to come. Verse 23 let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. This is probably my favorite part. The author of Hebrews in chapter six talked about hope being an anchor for our soul. And he's trying to paint a picture and the picture is this. You're in a boat and it's your life. And you are anchored in Christ, in the truth. The world wants to tell you a truth. It's like, this is true, that's true. Science and logic and Jesus is like, it's me. Anchor yourself, anchor your life in me. So you're in this boat, and you know what an anchor is really handy for? Waves. And there are a couple different kind of waves in life that come. There's the waves that are gentle. You almost kind of enjoy them, and they kind of lull you away from that anchor point. And then there are other waves that are brought on by huge storms. And they want to throw you out of the boat and they want to rip your anchor up and they want to send you far away from the anchor point of truth that Jesus is who he says he is. The author's saying, hold fast. Drop that anchor far. Don't be moved by what the world wants to tell you. Where the world wants to send you, stay where you are. Stay rooted in hope. He says, why? Because he who promised is faithful. If God is interested that I have enough gas money to get to Kentucky, Wilmore, Kentucky, God knows where Wilmore, Kentucky is. That, like, let's just talk about that. If God is so interested in these tiny details, if he has never failed, guys, there are prophecies in the Bible that have been fulfilled to a T and it's weird. You can't escape it. If he'll do the little things, how much more will he be faithful in the big things? He does, people talk about blind faith all the time. There's, it's not blind faith. It's very logical if you read scripture. It makes a lot of sense. He's done things even in your own life. He's been faithful even when you haven't. And if you can trust him to be faithful even when you haven't in the small things, when he says Jesus is coming back, that this is Jesus' dominion and domain, that we will see him come down, he means it. You can anchor yourself in that truth because he's kept every promise so far. Yes. Verse 24 and 25 say, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Okay, let's call people out. <laughs> but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we're shifting now because he's used 
community language so far. It's been us and we. He's never said, you need to, you need to. It's been about us as a community, us as a body, and how we relate to God and how God relates to us. And now we're going to talk about how that impacts our relationships here. It's shifting. He says, let's consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. My husband's taught me, I told you we have a goat farm. He's taught me that if I see some, an animal, one of our animals, off by themselves, I need to come get them right away. Because an animal goes off by itself to die. When something's hurting, something's broken, something's wrong, it removes itself from the herd. And that makes it so susceptible to coyotes, to predators that want to prey on it, that want to eat it, want to kill, steal, and destroy when it's off by itself. God in his wisdom uses things we understand to help us see things we don't yet understand. When you are not in a community, when you withdraw, you are in a vulnerable place. It's funny too, because Brittany actually said this during study. Like when I, when I am sad or hurting, I just want to be alone. I just want to be alone. Because I don't want you to tell me how good God is. I want to be sad. It's so true. God hit me with this this morning as I was preparing. I'm like, God, there's just so much here. How am I ever going to teach this in the time you've given me? And he's like, just because it's profound doesn't mean it has to be complicated. Just because what God is doing and has done is so mind-blowing doesn't mean that what we do in response is complicated. He says, hey, stay in community. Love the way he calls people out, as some are in the habit of doing. I'm like, okay. It's not complicated. Encourage each other. Like, not to do bad things. Stir one another up in love. That's not hard. It's not hard. Josh, I saw you love hundreds of women in Southern Illinois when you gave days of your life for free to set this place up for worth the risk because you loved them, because you love God, because you believe in what he's doing. That's it. It's that simple. Stir one another up. What's this day that this guy's talking about, though? Like, as you see the day drawing near. Now, this is another draw near. God tells us, draw near to me. Come close. But there's a day drawing near. What day is that? I always joke. I'm like that person. Every time, I'm like, God, if you'd have told me when I was 10 that I'd be the crazy lady with the sandwich board that's like, the end is coming, I'd have been like, no, not me. But here I am. The day is the day that Christ returns. I know that's bizarre, but can you believe it? Can you have faith for it? That he, he came once. He went up into the clouds and his people were looking up like, where did he go? And the angels are like, what are, you, what are you doing standing here looking into the clouds? The same way you saw him go, he's gonna come. He'll be back. That's the day. So we're not to freak out and get distressed and tell each other to go hoard water or buy a bunch of rice. We're just to encourage each other. We're just to keep loving each other and doing good works and being there for the orphans and the widows and feeding the hungry as we wait for that day to come because we're at peace. We're not concerned what that day will bring. Here's the thing. 
If Jesus is your Lord, if he's king, that's exciting. The king is coming. Eternity is coming. It's real. If Jesus is not your king and you are your king, that's terrifying because you know you're a weak king. You know you are a crummy king. And you know you have no hope. You can feel it in your bones right now, thinking about him coming back on the clouds to take his throne here on earth. Your kingdom stands no chance. You can build nothing, nothing eternal. His is eternal, yours is temporary. If that terrifies you, the call for you today, very simple, lay down your kingdom and look forward to the kingdom that's coming. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ, no sacrifice for sin is left. This is terrifying, and this is weighty, and this is convicting. As we were studying this, Brittany pointed out something that I think we have to understand. This is a particular book written to particular people. So what do they mean if we go on sinning after we've received this knowledge? He's talking to a particular people, and they know what he's talking about. And he's given us enough context clues to understand it. He's saying, hey, you're sinning by going back to the old way. You're sinning by thinking there's something you can do to make this right, to atone for yourself, to pay your debt. He's made a new way. It's Jesus. He's the only way. If you keep on with the old way, There's no sacrifice left. And if you're like, well, actually, Taylor, um, that hit me because I I do struggle with sin, and I I felt convicted of the sin that I struggle with. We ask what I think is probably one of the best questions I've ever heard around here for that. It's a gauge. It's, is this what you want, or is this what you're wrestling with? Do you want to live in sin, or are you wrestling with sin? They're two very different things. So be encouraged by that. At any moment, you can say, I don't want this. I'm ready to wrestle with it. And God will receive that. He knows. He knows we're not going to be perfected like that right now. He sees us that way. God sees us as the righteousness of Christ. We're holy. That's why we have the ability to step into the throne room. But here, earth side, we know there's still stuff that gets us. We know we still wrestle with the flesh and with sin. And God knows that. He says, is it something you want or is it something you're wrestling with? Ask yourself that question. What I really think God is wanting to flesh out today is, are you here for the temporary? Are you here for the eternal? Because you can have either. He's given you the choice of either. And I feel like um, for some people, the gospel has been so like put on a shelf high It's like, well, it's all this big brainy stuff or this really weird culty stuff. It's not. The gospel's really simple. It's that you were separated from God by your sin, period. And there was nothing you could do to make yourself right. And God loved us, so he stepped down. Jesus sacrificed himself once and for all. No more sacrifices needed. It's done. And he says, you belong here now. You belong here now in the presence of God. And you don't have to do anything to earn that. 
it's super simple. You just believe. You have faith. You anchor yourself to truth. And you wrestle with sin if it's in your life. I think it's simply that. Guys, that's the gospel. So profound. But it's not complicated. 